0: Welcome to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided
1: if she even likes it. But we watched our game and talked about it because it's fun. We probe the
0: wormholes, yes we do, cause we have nothing. Better to do so, listen. Here's our show.
1: Welcome to another episode of Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I'm I'll be your host today, Rose, and I'm here with Sam, a super fan. Malika. Malika who's on location this week. <laughs> I am recording
2: from a snowbank.
1: <laughs> and today we will be discussing Tok'ra part two, episode 12, season two of SG-1. So this is a continuation of last week's episode. We get dun da the conclusion. And we start the episode in with SG-1 sort of still in their crystal-clad holding cell, on the Tok'ra base. And um, we have Garshaw of Belote coming in to talk to them. Daniel gives another go to say, hey, what about our alliance? What's your problem? And uh, Garshaw says, first of all, you don't really give us enough of a reward to make the security risk worth it. But more importantly, you are obviously completely disgusted by us. And we're kind of offended by that. And Daniel's like, yeah, you're not wrong, but just give us time to learn. And she's like, okay, why don't one of you become a host? And they're all like, no, no, no. And Garsha gets pretty mad and says, okay, fine, no alliance. And you can remain here until we say otherwise. So some thoughts about that. One is the whole thing about the Tok'ra that separates them from the gold is that they take hosts consensually. This doesn't feel consensual to me. This feels like a lot of pressure and holding power over their heads to try to get them to acquiesce
2: yeah well even though they are the Tokra, they're still Ga'uld. like there's Ga'uld in them even though they're they don't like being thought of as Ga'uld and they think that they are completely different and trying to destroy them there's a a part of them that is gaoled so it's coercion right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm.
1: Like what's it called? The uh, color of a submit to the color of authority. It's like when you consent to a police search because they say, "Hey, we 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 have a warrant. You may as well consent." Or they have their hand on their gun when they're asking for consent. It's not really consent. It's yeah, it's acquiescence to to the like um, assertion of authority. And that's kind of what this feels like. uh, And when you're talking like, there's so many parallels I find between being taken over by a gould and rape, right? I think th- we talked about that with Sheree and with Sam when she was sort of invaded by Um And so the Tok'ra are presenting this as a consensual relationship, right? And not this coercive, abusive relationship. And it really doesn't feel like that in this particular moment. Um, and it's interesting, you also can apparently cannot withdraw consent, right? Like once you're in, you're in for the long haul, so.
0: Well, really, do you... Do you, did you get the sense that if Jake had said no, right, when they were having that conversation with Selmak, they would have said, okay, fine, we'll send you back to your deathbed?
1: Yeah, I think, but I think they would have sent him back to their, his deathbed, but, but, and in that case, Selmak's like, if you choose this, there's no going back, and maybe it's because Selmac was old and weak and Jacob was sick. Usually, I think a Etogra can leave a host, as we saw with the traitor or whatever. Um, I think in that case, they couldn't, but really you're depending when, when they say it's consensual, the symbiote is the one with the power, right? Let's say the symbiote has a change of heart. And it's like, you know what? And the, and the host is like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want my body back. Here's another host for you. Please take them. Um, and the symbiote's like, no, I don't want to, there's nothing you can do. Right. So th- there is a real power imbalance in that relationship for as, you know, consensual as it's supposed to be. So we have SG-1 and SG-3 waiting, and then we have Sam sort of getting very upset about her father, um, sort of especially because he doesn't even know why she's not there, thinking she's doing you know her deep space telemetry in the mountain. And O'Neill suggests that now that there's eight of us, they may be able to force their way out, and Sam really takes issue with that, that she doesn't want to hurt any of the Tolkra. And I thought this was interesting that Sam was really seems to be defending them, And O'Neill's like, listen, this, you said, this was one of the worst things that ever happened to you. What has changed? And her statement is really like, well, I just didn't understand what was happening. Had I understood it might've been enlightening, which also felt very Stockholm syndrome-y to me.
0: Yeah. I think, I think the news that her father is dying really shook her up. And now she's just trying to think of what can I do? Like, should I, should we try to give, give a host to them? Maybe they'll let us go and I can see my dad. That's, probably what she's thinking
1: and then that sort of leads her to have this revelation of i need to see garsha right away because we can give them hosts and they can cure cure cancer and maybe my dad would want to do this um which seems to me like kind of a a moment of desperation right i think she really does love her dad she's desperate to find a way to save him and this seems like the thing that might do it i don't know that in any other circumstance she would consider that
2: would you consider this another faustian bargain (laughs) I don't think they understand what a Faustine bargain is. They always use it wrong. I don't know what it means. Yeah, do we they, understand what it means? Sam, you're the wordsmith. Isn't I, it selling your soul? It's yeah. selling
0: your soul for something. Right. It was a it was a play written by Marlowe, I want to I say, it. but it didn't originate in Marlowe's play. It was it's like an old, it's ancient times idea, but I can't remember where it's from though. Okay,
2: I got it. It's uh, from a a medieval legend. So you're right, Sam. Uh, Faust made a contract with the devil to exchanging his soul for unlimited knowledge and worldly pleasures. An agreement in which a person abandons his or her spiritual values or moral principles in order to obtain knowledge, wealth, or other benefits. Deal with the devil.
1: So we did talk about the Faustian bargain a lot when Daniels had suggested that Jaffa are making a Faustian bargain. I forget what episode it was, but uh, he did say that in in the briefing room because the Jaffa get like long life and health and all that in exchange for, I guess, incubating the symbiotes. And we took issue with that because the Jaffa don't have a choice. You know, the bargain implies that you're entering into a contract that you have free will and the Jaffa don't. So in that case, it it was wrongly used. In this case, I think it's wrongly used as well, right? I mean, I think that is how O'Neill sees it, but I don't think that's how the Tokars see themselves. And that's what, what Garsha said. It's like the soul remains intact. Mm-hmm.
2: But don't you think that before Joseph becomes like agrees to be a voluntary host, he is making a contract with the devil because he said that when he met them, he said that, from what his daughter told him um that they weren't good people and he didn't like them so um, potentially they could be devils and he doesn't know what's going to happen he could die he could come back as a crazy guy old. he could lose himself he's not sure so maybe for him it's a faustian bargain until it actually happens and then he's all happy <laughs> it's it's jacob too <laughs> not joseph it's jacob yeah, Jacob.
1: Wrong, wrong biblical character.
2: <laughs> That's oh, yeah. You know why all my notes say Joseph. I know.
1: You've been texting Joseph, too. Which makes me think of Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat.
2: <laughs> that was a really good musical. Well, when Sam said his name was Jake, I was like, how, in, how <laughs> do you get Jake out Joseph? I don't understand Joe, but Jake... <laughs> So
1: um, Sam offers, he's like, hey, since we're making deals, uh, I might have a host for you. Garsha says two of them can go back. And so O'Neal and Sam return to Earth to see if Jacob wants to do this.
0: So why would she send Carter back? I mean, last episode, we were concerned that Carter was the biggest security threat. And then all of a sudden, Carter is saying, I have a host for you. And she's like, yes, go back, get him, bring him back. I mean- There's so much inconsistency. I mean, there's throughout
1: the episode, there's so much inconsistency on security risk and what each side is considering a security risk and how they're acting. It's just one of those things. Yeah. Like you're such a big security risk that we're not going to let you go back until we leave. And we're going to hope that your people think you're dead. So they stop sending people and then maybe in a few weeks, you'll be able to go back. We go from that to, okay, sure. Go back the the highest risk security person go back instead of one of the other seven people in the room, whatever. Uh, maybe the the idea of saving Selmac with a new host is appealing enough that they're like, okay, we're willing to risk it. So they have we have a brief minute in the SGC where Hammond asks where everyone is, and O'Neill says that they um, they need to talk, and then we go to the briefing room where Hammond really needs to some convincing that this is a good idea um and sam seems pretty i don't know she seems like she's she's gone through something in this conversation right and both in having to convince hammond and in the way she's responding to o'neill i think she has a lot to process here
0: yeah it was i mean i realized why they did it but it's a weird choice to have her sit like 10 feet away from hammond and o'neill as they have this conversation I mean, She's like she's like to the other end of the table mm-hmm and they also uh, for a good portion of
1: the conversation she's standing up facing away from them which i don't i don't know maybe we're not in military protocol realm because they're, they're they work together this they're pretty familiar with each other and we're in a more informal briefing setting um but i don't know that you're supposed to disrespect a general like that
0: who uh, directed this episode let's see
1: Brad he's not one of the main directors
0: no he's not Maybe it was some kind of director's special that he wanted to show how isolated she felt in this decision. So they put her at the other end of the room. Yeah, it's like a visual representation
1: of how, where she is. And I don't know, O'Neill's sort of demeanor throughout this episode, I don't know that he adds a whole lot other than like figure, like he's sort of a plot device in a couple of ways. He figures out about the spy, all that. But he's really just there to be, to like, move her storyline along right he's like kind of throwing out lines here there's times where i don't think he's acting the way he would act
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah
2: you don't want to talk about hammond calling that gawood greasy ass Oh, (laughs) o'neill yeah greasy ass (laughs) Garold. greasy ass that has got to be an ad lib yeah yeah (laughs)
1: So Sam does appear to convince Hammond, I think, to at least give them a shot. But also, is this Hammond's call to let a member, a high-ranking member of the U.S. military move to another planet and blend with an alien? Hammond is the one that gives the okay here? This seems like something that has to go higher up than that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think he needs to go to that red phone and call the president.
1: (laughs) And the president would be like, fuck no, what's wrong with you? We're not going to give away our, all our military secrets to this. If we need to, if we need to make an ally, then take Josh Mo with cancer off the side of the road and he can do the blending, who knows nothing about US military secrets. Yes. Right? <laughs> so that does not make sense. So now we go back to the Tokra planet, um, where the teams are right, we go back to the Tokra planet. Tealk and Garsha have a little moment where he tells her that he admires their cause she's honorable and brave and she's like ditto you guys rock okay so this is <laughs> this is a moment between the tokra and the trafa then we have um some Martouf and some of the other tokra coming in to say the gould are coming so one thing that i also found a little bit inconsistent is that martuf seems to be Martouf mostly and Lantash less often and that's not the case for the others why is, and I always, when I think of the martuth character, I think of him as martuth not as Lantash. And when I think about like other characters, I think of them as their Gould or as their symbiote. So why is that? Why does he get more free reign over the body?
0: Lantash seems to be more quiet, more thoughtful. So maybe it's just his personality. He just
1: likes to hang back. He's an introvert, <laughs> introvert yeah, he- and symbiote.
0: Yeah, he's not a let's go, he's not an action guy, or a girl, or they. <laughs> very interesting. My question was, why didn't the Tok'ra automatically suspect SG-1? Because they, they've they heard that yeah. gaul are coming. <laughs> I mean, they're very suspicious of them. Gawood are coming, and yet they're going to let them go. I, I just don't get that. And I think,
1: did they get that announcement after they had let them go? Mm-hmm. So they let them go, and then immediately they get word that the gold are coming. So that's highly suspicious, yes.
0: Mighty big coincidence is what I would be thinking.
1: <laughs> yes. So Garsha like, let's start the evacuation. We go back to Earth, to the hospital where Jacob is. Sam and Hammond walk into his room. Jacob is his usual, doing his usual push her away thing. And... Sam says that she needs his help. Hammond says, You officially have clearance. She tells him what she does for a living. He takes some convincing. He says his trademark line, Holy Hannah, Mm -hmm. which she also says sometimes. (laughs) It's kind of cute. And she asks him to travel to another planet with her so they can cure his cancer. And he's like, Yeah, what's the catch? And Hammond's like, It's a doozy.
0: I love that line. It's a doozy.
1: he's not wrong he's not so then this part so we go to the sgc now the gate room and then sam and o'neill and jacob enter um and they go through the gate to the Toker planet this is somebody who is coding about 15 minutes ago right in the end of the last episode he was coding they had to restart his heart because that is how sick he is and he's just walking into the gate room nobody's afraid he's going to drop dead at that moment
0: i bet they pumped them full of something.
2: Like adrenaline? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> <To keep laughs> so between this episode and, uh, or the last episode and this episode, I did go to medical school. And <laughs> I found out that when you are coding and you get the defibrillator, if you don't wake up like by the third defibrillation. Um, they, they call that you're dead. Right. And I also found out that you are still unconscious. You don't with the, with the final shock to your heart, you, it doesn't just wake you up too. <laughs> you're still unconscious. You're still not out of the woods. So you're not going to be up being like, tell me what, tell me the truth. You don't know aliens. You don't, you're not going to talk. And you're definitely not gonna run up to the gate and jump through. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, I didn't go to medical
1: school. (laughs) Malik is our resident doctor host. (laughs) Common law doctor.
2: Common law doctor.
1: Okay. So they do go, they do take Jacob to the Tok'ra planet. They come out of the wormhole. Jacob says it looks like Earth. We get a little bit of exposition here as to why all the planets look like Canada. And Sam's like, oh, well, they were transporting humans. So we think that they build most of these gates on on planets that are fit for human habitation. I guess Canadian-specific human habitation.
2: I thought that maybe the writers put that in because by this point, people are like, Why are we always going to these planets where nobody needs the respirator? Nobody needs, you know, a helmet. And people are starting to think that there's a huge plot hole. And so Jacob just fixes it right there, throws out the right question. Carter comes back with the perfect answer and plot hole disappears.
1: I mean, I never thought that was a huge plot hole because either it makes sense that they would use it to transport humans so that they would put it on planets that are have a, an earth-like atmosphere, or they only go to the planets that have an earth-like atmosphere and the ones that are like in space or like on toxic planets, they just don't go to, or they, you know, they send probes, but not people, I guess it kind of makes sense. It's a little convenient, but then we go to the tunnels. Uh, they ring into the tunnels. Everyone's bustling, moving Colonel Makepeace says, Hey, they said we can go, but since we're trying to be friends, we decided to help out with the evac and with the evacuation. They get their gear, the tunnels are collapsing. Teal says something, and Daniel translated it as very cool. And we learn that the system lords are on their way, ready to attack. We see the two motherships flying for a second. And then Sam takes Jacob to Selmac, and O'Neill, Daniel, and Teal go to find Garsha. And in Selmac's room, this is when we get the first meeting between Selmac and Jacob. You have Jacob doing his kind of shtick of why are they talking like that? What's going on? What's going on? Um, <laughs> I do like when he's like, "You got to be kidding me!" <laughs> the doozy, the doozy presents itself. Then we go back to the tunnels where O'Neill and Daniel and Teal'c are walking, and O'Neill mentions the the teleball thing and asks Teal'c if they make them in a smaller size. And Teal'c says yes, and O'Neill's brain
2: says, "Hmm, we have a spy in our midst." he just throws it out there. <laughs> of all the stuff you saw, you're just going to be like, hey, I think there's a spy.
1: Well, O'Neil is very um what's the word? He's very skeptical, he's very cynical and untrusting by nature, I think. And so his I I think it makes sense that his whole thing is like, oh, you're compromised, somebody must have written you out. Who is it? He's just that kind of guy.
2: Well, do you think that after he saw the sphere, that he would just go and ask Tilk. Like I understand that that maybe the compromise kicked it off in his brain, but he's pretty inquisitive. He does ask lots of questions. And there it was a big deal when he saw it. hmm
1: Yeah, should have brought it up before. So we go back to Selmac's room. Jacob said is having some some doubts about this. Martouf says we're not going to pressure you. Why don't you get to know, get to know her? And he, he does keep referring to Selmak as her, as a female gender pronoun, mm-hmm. which is interesting considering he was the one who said, Tokra have no gender. Selmek is currently in a female host, but will be entering a male host. So, And he continues with that female pronoun throughout the episode, even when it, the symbiote is no longer in the male host. I thought that was interesting.
2: Well, we already know that he's homophobic from the other yeah. episode, right? So anybody else... Like maybe Garshon or whatever, she would refer to Selmac as these names are really hard for me. <laughs> it's just really, <laughs> it's going to get worse. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, last brain cell out. Um, I think that if like Garshon was explaining um, what's going on, she wouldn't have gendered Selmac. I think this is a Martooth problem. Well. And this is what I was thinking
1: because I mean it's there I understand that there this is hard, especially in the 90s where sort of non-binary agendered individuals were not part of sort of general common cultural understanding, right? especially on TV, especially family TV. so everything and you know, even gay characters were really few and far between. So I get that this is the context that we're operating in. And you also have a situation now where you're introducing a a type of species where two, separate consciousnesses inhabit one body. I get that it's hard for people to understand the concept of gender in that circumstance. This was interesting because you have a a symbiote going from a female host to a male host, which we generally don't see. I feel like usually the Gould, even though they're supposed to be agendered, seem to be one or the other in terms of the types of hosts they take and the way that they, the gender identity they present. But I wonder if they made this choice because Selmak and Saroosh had to sort of kiss in order for that transfer to happen. And the writers are like, we can't have two men be that intimate on this show. So it has to be a female to male host.
2: Didn't even think of that, but yeah, that's a a big old no homo right there. (laughs) That's a good point. Wow. Rose, you deep.
1: (laughs) I just, I don't give anybody any credit. I'm like, I I really think that that was a conversation. They're like, oh, fuck, how are we going to do this?
0: No, you're right about that, yeah. Was this before or after um, that episode in DS9 where Dax kissed a a woman? I love that episode. So
1: we talked about last episode, the bad uh, TNG episode of the the Outcast, where Riker falls in love with the most heteronormative, non-binary planet ever, um, which was the nod to sort of supporting gay people and done in the, the worst way possible. In Conscious, I thought the DS9 episode was really good. <clears throat> the one with, um, what was it called? Rejoined?
0: Yeah, it's from 1995, yeah. which is before this. So that's
1: before, that's a few years before. And that, I mean, partly just because um, Terry Farrell is just so awesome. And I think she just played that episode so well. Um, But I thought that really was an excellent way of like bringing up this issue mm-hmm. of like same-sex relationships in a way that was interesting and not... um offensive mm-hmm. wish star could stargate could have done that yeah taking that extra step mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i also think there was more tolerance for women kissing women on tv than men kiss, and there still is yeah so there's like no universe in which men would have kissed on stargate
2: <laughs> and if it was going to be women they would be both of them would be really hot yeah right exactly and muddy and like, naked.
0: Money,
1: naked. <laughs> well, in rejoin, they were both pretty hot. They were. So I do like this, um this interaction between Selmac and Jacob. I think it's kind of funny. You get to like Selmac. He's like, you don't look good. He's like, yeah, look at yourself, dude. so Sarush does a lot of talking up Selmac. Wonderful sense of humor. Sam's like, you can check crack yourself up for hours, Dad. But they also have some bad memories, and so we do find out that this host is the one that's two hundred years old, and there was a prior host. So Selmec is at least probably four or five hundred years old, right? Mm-hmm.
0: And
1: then Jacob throws up. <laughs> Sam, at least it wasn't actually on camera throw up, right?
0: Yeah, no, this was fine. There's actually <laughs> there's another point in in S in Stargate when there's vomiting, and that one is a little worse, but this is fine. Okay,
1: because you don't see is it the seeing of the vomit that you can't handle?
0: Yeah, the actual yes, seeing someone actually vomit, I don't like that.
1: Those sounds, vomit sounds are okay
0: for the most part. She's <laughs> like, I I don't
2: prefer them.
1: I just feel like late, like new TV is all about showing the vomit, and I don't need that.
2: Yeah, I agree. <laughs>
1: really, not necessary.
0: Have too much of it at home as it is. Did
1: you ever watch that Expanse episode where she vomits into the space helmet?
0: No you still and you have
1: not finish the expanse because of that scene
0: yes exactly
1: you yes, have to finish it so we
0: can talk about it I will. i will i have a problem i know but i will finish i will finish that
1: <laughs> oh and jacob does refer to her as his soulmate for lack of a better word right also thought is interesting and also thought related to the gender dynamic here and him and sam have kind of a bonding moment he kind of is like listen this is a whole lot but if my choice is between this and death, I'll take this. Sam says, you don't have to. He's like, yes, I do. We go back to the tunnels. The rest of the team finds Garsha. O'Neill says, hey, you, you might have a spy. Tells tells Garsha about the the teleball thingy. And Garsha says, we don't use those. And he says, well, somebody uses them, Kordesh. And she gets pretty mad.
0: Tokur Kree. Yeah. She, she believes him right away. Like there's no other mm-hmm. conversation. She's like, Oh, you're right. He's a spy. And she goes off and gets him, which is a little abrupt. And so I also didn't
1: quite, so, so the guy that, that she finds is the host of Kordesh, right. And Kordesh had left him alive. Right. So first of all, why, why did Kordesh leave this guy and why didn't he kill him?
0: How could he have killed him?
1: You Cause you have to, I think it takes effort for a, to leave a host alive.
2: But maybe the reason why he didn't kill him is that he would, Garshan would kill him and think that, uh, that was... Desh is still inside. She didn't even know that there was a symbiote inside him until he said, um, I'm not who you think I am. Right? So, I think it was like a Trojan horse type situation. So first of all, why
1: doesn't Garsha understand what's going on here, right? So this guy is the host of Kordesh, feels betrayed by Kordesh, feels guilty that they've betrayed the Tok'ra, and is killing himself out of his guilt, right? Even though obviously he didn't have a choice in this. That's one thing. He's telling her this. He's telling her and O'Neill, he's not who you seem. I'm guilty as him, and I'm going to die. O'Neill gets that that Cordes is not in him anymore and Gershon doesn't I don't really understand why
2: I think I've been thinking about Gershon remember at the very beginning of the last episode they talked about how she was the most hunted Tok'ra I think that has made her super paranoid and probably a little bit delusional <laughs> so she's just flashes this anger and she's like she's all about survival so she's like, I don't want to hear anything else. I'm just going to kill you. Go ahead and die. <laughs> right?
1: In the collapsing tunnels. Exactly. And these are like controlled collapses, right? Because then nobody else seems to be concerned that they may collapse on them. Okay. <laughs> Garshaw still has some awesome clothes, by the way. So then that guy dies. Then we go back to Selmex's room. And now Jacob's like, all right, I'm on board. And Selmaq's like, wait, I got to make sure I like you. And Jacob's like, I'm a teddy bear. Sam's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so I'm like, asks if he's a good man. He's like, listen, do you really have a choice? And she's like, okay, I like you. Let's do this. But
2: so this is this is the section where she asks him, why am I saying she? They ask him if if they if Jacob likes that Gauled or how he feels yeah. about it. And this is when Jacob's like, I don't like him, right? Uh-huh. And that's why I think that uh, Selmac was like, fuck this dude. I'm going to die. I don't care. I don't want to be in this fucker, right? And then she like really switches and talks about, are you a good man? He just told you he doesn't like you. So
1: when he thought, because he's like, she, so Selmac is like, what do you think about the cold? And he's like, I don't like them. But Selmac thinks he's referring to them, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and then it take, and then he's like, "Oh, sorry, didn't mean, didn't. I'm learning here. I'm new," and so I kind of backs down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Also, kind of limited choices here.
2: Oh, right. Um, did you see Shipper's Corner? <laughs> I'm sorry, I've been playing a lot of Uno, so I yell things. So, <laughs> Martooth, Martooth. Did you see how handsy he got with Carter when he was trying to get her to move away? So Joseph and, I'm sorry, Jacob and Selmac could chat. He he like literally almost, oh, I don't know, actually touched her, but it wasn't like, let's go over here and like, I'm gonna point. It was, I'm really close to your midriff. And (laughs) I'm going to try to corral you with my arm towards your belly.
0: I don't think we take call yeah. that Shipper's Corner. It's
1: not- Is Shipper's Corner reserved for O'Neill yes. and Sam Ship? Yes. Or ships that we like.
0: <laughs> exactly. Sam, do you dislike Martuve a lot? I do. I don't like him very much at all. And it might be because he was the slimy attorney in 13 Coasts, as we talked about last episode. But yeah, I just I don't like Martuf whatsoever. I I really don't. It could also be because of a later, much later episode too.
1: Okay. He does. Is it because he's one of... Because you also didn't like Nareem a lot. Is it because he's one of Sam's suitors and you don't like people courting Sam who are not Jack O'Neill?
0: I thought, well, I, I just, I don't like the Tolan. I don't like the Tolan all that much. It could be because I don't, yeah.
1: Well, this is interesting. I'm starting to see a theme here. The Tolan and the Chokra are both very arrogant, advanced races that think they are better than people. And Sam seems to go for that. And also, let's say Jonas Hansen had a lot of those same qualities. Interesting.
2: Well, look <laughs> at her dad, right? Yeah,
1: look at her dad who's arrogant and thinks he knows better than everybody else. But Jack right, is like a lot here. There's a lot to unpack in that,
0: in that dynamic. But would you call Jack pretentious? I wouldn't.
1: I would not call Jack. I think Jack is a, a departure from that. I mean, he he definitely could sometimes be think he's better than people or think he knows the right, right, where everyone else is telling him that he doesn't, but he's not pretentious and he's not arrogant. Okay. And this is also where we learned that stomach says, this is a long-term deal. So if you're in, you got to be in all the way. I can't just go in, cure you and leave. It would kill us both. And also that the blending may not work because I'm weak and you're sick and we may both die. And Jacob's like, I'm in, let me just talk to my daughter for five minutes, Marth truth gets all handsy. And he, Jacob tells her he's proud of her. Even when he thought she was just doing deep space radar telemetry, he was still proud of her. Mushy, mushy father, daughter, sappy moment that I ate up with a spoon.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> now, I When I said that I love the Tok'ra, that I, I mean this part two series, this part two episode is what I love, especially this moment. Selmac and then Jacob and then Jacob with Carter in this moment, it's it's, it's yeah right. yeah. I mean it's it's not a complete reconciliation for these two because we'll we'll get a little more into that later on, but it definitely
2: is the first step. I'm like you don't like it? <laughs> I find it interesting. We've all had domestic violence cases, so we oh, yes. know we know the cycle of violence, right? Him saying, "I'm proud of you," let's hug is the honeymoon stage. I'm I'm fixing all of the abuse in this case emotional abuse that I've heaped on you with a hug and being nice and saying the right things but guess what I'm going to abuse you again because the honeymoon period is only a short period of time. At least that's what the prosecutors tell me.
1: I don't I don't know that I call their relationship abusive and we do see him again we do their developed their relationship develops a lot over the course of the series i really like jacob as a character i really like their relationship and how it develops so seeing it start here kind of i'm in the same position of sam it's like it it, it really gets to me because i i think they become really three-dimensional characters how they relate to each other and the relationship gets really fleshed out but you don't get a whole lot of how their relationship was before selmak You get some, like there's some flashbacks, there's some backstory, but not a whole lot. I don't, I never got the sense that it was abusive, even emotionally abusive. I think he's controlling. I think he's withholding of affection, but I don't, I wouldn't, to me, emotional abuse is a a specific level of treatment of somebody, like calling them nothing, controlling their money, controlling their access to people, destroying someone's self-worth, it's a really specific thing and I don't think it it got to that point so I don't know that I'd say that this is part of the domestic violence cycle
2: well maybe the reason why it gets better their relationship gets better is because Jacob does believe that Selmac could make him a better person mm-hmm. not an abuser <laughs>
1: You know, there's a really good fanfic that deals a lot with the internal monologue between Jacob and Selmak that I, I like. And I think I think that is true, that Selmak sort of softens him out and makes him a better father and a better person. Yeah. We are back in the tunnels. We have back to the rest of the team talking to Gershaw. She thanks them for saving the Toker from many losses. But still, you're not really that useful to us. And Daniel's like, wait, 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 we can provide hosts like the one that we're providing for Selmac. And I guess he's got a point, you know, if, (laughs) I mean, if I think there's plenty of people on earth who, who are dying, who, if you said, Hey, you don't die, but you have to blend with an alien and who's going to share your body, would you do it? I, a lot of people would sign up for that.
2: I think Daniel is leading all these humans to slaughter. (laughs) And I think that, I mean, I understand you want to go in and you want to save these people, but now they're aliens and they have to live on another planet because you can't have them all um, keep this secret. This is confidential information, right? Jacob understands that regular people who are just run of the mill, working class, uh, rich. I don't know. I'm sure Kardashian would love to meld with somebody. Daniel gets in charge of the list of patients in the cancer wards or whoever's dying, whoever's in hospice, give me your number, right? Because I mean, there was a time where prisoners were, I don't know if I'd say experimented on, but they were used as guinea pigs for things so you take people who don't have a choice and you say if you do this you'll get some time off or you'll get out of your cell for a while or whatever so this is the same thing Daniel comes to your hospice bed and it's like hey do you want to live for 200 years or die in your bed right I (laughs) Daniel is seeking to be a murderer that's all I'm saying okay
1: well and i will say i don't think this is a little bit of a spoiler we never really see daniel's plan come to fruition like we do see the tokra again but we don't see additional humans from earth becoming hosts maybe they are on the sly when maybe the tokra every now and then is like hey we need a host can you find us one and they do and we just don't know about it um but it's never like a point that's mentioned so i think it may just be thrown in out there to keep the relationship alive maybe So we are back in Selmak's room. Martuf says that the Tokra don't enter their host through the neck because it leaves a scar. Um, they do it through the front and then the ghoul do it that way because they don't want to see the horror of their host's face every time they look in the mirror. So you see Jacob and Selmak or Jacob and Sarush lying next to each other. Um, and then Sarush says, kiss me. And that's when you have that moment where they don't actually make contact, but the symbiote sort of jumps from her mouth to his mouth and then selmak through jacob says goodbye to your friend Sarush dies immediately and then jacob is unconscious while they're blending so th- then we go back to the tunnels the tokra tunnels and you have the the woman tokra walking with the box with the ball o'neill sees her grabs her takes the box garshaw's like what the fuck and he's like if i'm wrong i'm up op- i'll apologize opens it finds the teleball and the fallout happens a few things. <laughs> One is if you have the secret device that you are using to spy on your comrades, why are you carrying it in a box like openly <laughs> and very conspicuously while you're evacuating?
2: Well, I haven't seen like a purse. <laughs> None of these togras have like concealable places. Everything's flowy and purple. You can't hide no pockets. It's not that big, you can put it in a pocket. They don't make, they do not make clothes for women that have pockets. So she's shit out of luck. Well, the men, or there are those like,
1: those like, I guess, khaki colored Tok'ra uniforms with the, the ropes and everything. Why doesn't she put on one of those? And those look like they have places to conceal stuff. Seems very, very dumb. If you're a spy to be like, I'm taking my secret, very secret spy ball in my hands in front of me while I walk through these hallways. Also, and then we find out that she is now inhabited by Kordesh. So Kordesh left the other guy, went into her. If she's a Tok'ra, she would have had her own symbiote. What happened to that symbiote? Does it? Can you have two symbiotes and then they fight each other and then whoever wins gets to take control of the body? Like, what the fuck? I've never, they never explain that.
0: <laughs> it's like Thunderdome in your head. <laughs> They're like fighting each other. <laughs> Was
1: she just like a human groupie that didn't have a symbiote that just lives with them?
2: Was she a host in waiting? But they would have used her for Selmac.
0: Yeah. She's on the council too, right? I think she was one of them. So what the fuck? I don't know. (laughs)
1: Like that's completely unexplained. So then Kordesh's true plan is revealed. She is cordesh in this woman is is taken away to have him removed or have them the symbiote removed from her without harming her and then thrown into the the vanishing tunnels and garsha kisses o'neill on his cheeks says she is proud to call him her friend and then you have a flash of the gold ship starting to descend on the planet um back to Selmak's room garsha comes in and says everything else is gone this is the only room left everyone's gone we got to go When Selmaq's awake, he knows where we're going to be. Just leave him. If he makes it, he makes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Um, And Sam and Martuf were like, no, I'm not going. Um, O'Neill says, you got to go, Sam. And she's like, no. Uh, Defies orders. And O'Neill's like, fine. Okay. So they knew this transfer was going to happen. Why wouldn't they bring Sarouche to Earth? I understand that she's dying and in poor health so that the transfer can happen on Earth where there's not a base under attack or why couldn't they send them first to the the tokra new tokra homeworld and have the transfer happen there why why are you going through with this transfer knowing it's going to take a while knowing you're under attack and have to evacuate
2: because we need some drama
1: (laughs) could could sarush not be moved when she was that ill maybe that's it and so it had to happen there or nowhere probably
0: yeah because the symbiote was still trying to keep her you know somewhat alive until they found a host and Mm -hmm. moved seems to be the the thing that kills them I... like so you can't be on a stretcher like I'm not asking him to like
1: run to the Stargate but you can't put him on a stretcher or put him in like a gurney or something
2: maybe they didn't have time to make one out of the tunnel thing
1: <laughs> oh no seems like could have thought of it through that
2: better and
1: they go to the surface so the rest of them go to the surface Daniel says let's go to earth and then you can go to your new planet they see the death glitters coming in. Daniel's like, we should wait for Sam. And O'Neal is like, dial. And then what well, they dial and they go through. Would O'Neal do that? I mean, O'Neill, forget that it's Sam. Let's. This is not a Shipper's Corner moment. She is a member of his team. His whole thing is we don't leave our people behind. I don't think he would like, la- I think he'd be like, Daniel, you go, I'm going to stay. You take Garsha through to earth. You and Teal go, I'm going to stay with her. There's no way that he wouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, no, I I, I agree. Yeah. Too.
1: So I felt didn't that felt like a real a real break from character. I think that was a mistake by the writers. And it's not like his presence is needed on earth. It's not like that had to be they had to get him to earth to do anything. He's just sitting there waiting for her on the other side.
2: Right. And Tilk and Daniel can take care of themselves and who wants to I mean Garshon doesn't need any help either. And she's not really an asset at this point, right? So it's not like he needs to protect her. Teal can yeah do that. Yeah, I mean, Teal
1: can totally protect her to get through to the Stargate. Once they're in the Stargate, all they do is stand there and wait. Like literally, that's we see like three scenes of them standing and waiting. So I think O'Neill would have stayed, especially also because Martuf is there and he doesn't trust him. Um, and yeah, that just didn't make any sense. We go back to Selmac's room. We hear explosions on the surface. We keep cutting back and forth between that room and the SGC where they're kind of just standing there waiting for Sam and Martuf and Selmak to come through.
2: But they were Um, also worried that Gawood would come through. That's why they had the Iris closed. Right? Right. Yeah. So so
1: Selmak wakes up. He says, hey, let's get the fuck out of here. And Sam says, can I talk to my dad? He emerges, says he has the work, feels like he has a hangover. Um, Jumps off the table though and says he has no more arthritis. Seems pretty happy with his situation. And Marty um, leads the way as the tunnels collapse. They ring out just in the nick of time because those tunnels are collapsing. They ring to the surface. They run to the gate again. The death gliders shooting at them both times when Daniel, Teal, O'Neill, and Garshaw were racing. They get through just in the nick of time as the death gliders sh- shoot at them very poorly. Same thing. Nobody is injured. Everybody's fine. They come through the SGC. No, the gate is not guarded for some reason. The Gould are descending on this planet. Nobody's around.
2: I don't know. And Remember before Carter, it was there was somebody coming through and they thought it was yeah. Gould coming through. And she's like, not if I can dial home faster.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Why would she be able to dial faster than they can dial in? I mean, I know everyone likes to do boom, 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 this really slow dialing sequence, but apparently you don't have to. <clears throat> apparently you can boom, 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 and get a faster wormhole. Why the Gould are not in that kind of rush? I don't know. So she gets her wormhole out before that wormhole comes in. They don't know who got the wormhole first. So it had if you try to go in through an outgoing wormhole, do you die or do you just get pushed back out? Because Jacob's like, we have to just go in. Because- one of the rules of the show is wormholes go one way for matter, right? So you, so if it's somebody's dialing in, you can't go through, but we don't know what happens if you try. I assume that you would just get pushed out. You'd like bounce off it or something.
2: Would you though? Because doesn't the, what do you guys call it? Karush? Karush. Um yeah. It kills anything that's in front of them. Mm-hmm. So it could have been their caroush, or it could have been the Gauled Karoosh
1: yeah so we don't know and we don't know if they would have died or if they would have just bounce back out or something So they do go through the gate they end up at the SGC Jacob set goes to I'm not sure if he goes up to Hammond or Garsha but says thank you. Jacob emerges and hes has some really funny questions. do I sound like that he says he feels pretty damn good and he knows everything there is to know about the Tokra and Hammond did the right thing so this was Hammond's call again that makes no sense. And he would be happy to be a liaison between the two. Hammond would really like to debrief everyone, but they're like, nope, we got to go. Martouf tells Sam that he will watch over her father. And Jacob and Sam talk, and he kind of comes full circle and says, "You were I was trying to get you a better assignment, but you were the one that got me a better assignment. In the end, they have this nice moment. He says he's the wide, wisest and oldest among the uh, Tok'ra. And Sam's like, of course you are and everyone has some nice camaraderie moments and then they go go home and we end the episode with a close-up on Sam
0: so if I were Hammond I would be very suspicious at this point of Jacob he doesn't seem that trustworthy when he comes through
1: do you think Hammond would think he's faking it and he's no longer in control
0: there's like this glibness about him that it just seems so fake I don't know. There's just something that struck me when I when I saw this episode again.
1: Yeah, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way the U.S. government is letting him just go through that gate. I'm just there's just no way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the government... one for that. Like, how do we know you're not compromised? How do we know where you're going and all the information? Even if you're not compromised, where is the information you have going and who's it going to and how can we yeah. trust you?
0: There has been it so doesn't. much vetting of Selma mm-hmm. for this even before this happened yes Mm -hmm.
1: or like detaining of jacob slash Selmac until they did that betting if it couldn't happen before Mm
2: -hmm. i did want to say one more thing about the last scene when martuth says that he's gonna watch over jacob like like his own father because whatever um symbiotes don't have dads
1: but do you think he's saying that to make her feel Like he's like I don't think Lantash doesn't he's not like oh this is how I would treat my dad because I don't have a dad but he's trying to make her feel better and so that's a reference that she would understand Mm
0: -hmm. well I don't I think the symbiotes know what it feels like to have a parent because they're in a body that knows what it feels like to have a parent so Lantash feels that too to some extent
1: yeah I mean in this way I mean when you sort of in this episode, in this part, part two, you get more of a idea of the relationship between the host and the symbiote. And in this way, it kind of feels more like the trill in Deep Space Nine, where the hosts remain distinct, people with distinct personalities, but they get the memories of the other hosts. And so that changes who they are and and their experience. And so the same thing happens here, right? Like, so Jacob now has the memories, not only of Selmak, but of all his previous hosts, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So I mean I think it would be interesting to do a like a comparison of different like symbiotic relationships in sci-fi because I so much of and I'm also thinking just having just one severance, but it 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 brings up the issue of how much of your identity is based on your memory. And if you have different memories, would you be a different person?
0: hmm Bodies what's that horror movie Body Snatch, Legend of the Body? No,
2: Invasion of the Body yeah, Snatchers. That one.
0: We could talk, we could talk about that one too compare it. As
1: we do in every episode, we are going to rate this episode. Sam, why don't you start?
0: So when I think about this episode, the Tok'ra, I think of it as one episode, even though it's two. And I always remember that I I love it. And I didn't realize until last week that I don't really love part one, but I really love part two. And I think it's because of Jacob. I, I think it's a a great storyline for him because if he had died well then sam and jacob wouldn't be able to reconcile i think um, having him live on as a tokra is a great way of um, sam and jacob finally reconciling later on so i i can't do this i would love to take the sticks that i gave to part one and give it to part two <laughs> I can't, but i know um, so I'm just going to give this one six chevrons as well
1: Malika you gave part one and one right you were really really hard I, on
2: it yeah Yeah. well yeah because it was so discriminatory this one was less discriminatory um, but I really just felt neutral about the whole thing I mean there were plot holes there were little things I didn't like the Jacob blending with Selmac, that was okay. It just felt okay. So I would give it 3.5, like straight in the middle. I didn't like it. I didn't dislike it. It's just, uh. what about you, Rose? I will give it a five. I mean, it's it's just
1: one of those episodes that I guess stand alone. It's not great. I kind of the same way. It's it's fine. There's nothing spectacular about it, but it really does introduce really important character, Jacob, and introduce a really important species, the Tok'ra. And so for that reason... Um, I, I loved, as I said, I love Jacob and the way he develops. I do find h- him in this episode to be a little one-dimensional, but just feels a little caricaturous, but he develops so much and he's so good as it moves forward. So I will forgive that. So five. And if this episode was made today, what, why might we see it be different? So last week we talked about one thing that would still be different is the gender stuff, particularly, I think the, um, Sarush Jacob thing, um, that kiss or the almost kiss, whatever may be different. There may have been a choice to keep um, to have Sarush be a male and not have that limitation. Um, So that would be different.
0: I think, yeah, I, I think that wouldn't even be something to consider. I think they would just maybe make them both males and then just go on from there. Yeah. It wouldn't even be an issue in the writer's room, whereas maybe, 10 years ago they might do the same thing but it would be an issue like should we have two men kissing yeah it's it's 2000 blah blah whatever we should do it but then nowadays i mean who the fuck cares anymore two men kiss yes. i mean it happens all the time nobody cares no one cares
2: well i think that obviously we didn't really have an awareness of pronouns but i think that we would definitely have a they them and i think that Well, let's say I hope that some of the strange things that Garshon does would be corrected. Like her character would be more smooth and not so up and down and up and down.
0: Or they would make something of her inconsistency. Like the next episode, it would be Garshon going crazy or something.
1: Um, I also think the outfits would be a little more consistent. Like if they're going to be dressing up in fancy going out outfits, then they all should be instead of half of them being like in evening gowns and half of them being in like burlap. And that mostly fell along the gender divide, I would say too.
0: I think there was one woman in the initial, in Tokra part one, Mm during the initial, you know, coming up from the sand. And I can understand if it was like, that's the working uniform, that's the uniform. And
1: then they wear the ball gowns when they're relaxing. But what are the men wear when they're relaxing?
0: Tuxedos.
1: I I not see any of them in like tuxedos or dresses or anything
2: there was a guy there was a guy on the uh council and he was wearing kind of a muted black slash dark um purple thing it wasn't flowing and I'm not even quite sure that it had like distinctive pants but he was dressed up okay that's good and they like purple a lot They do I though. really like the color of Garshaw's dress
1: did you see her shoes though no Whew. They look like my grandma's shoes. I mean, you have to walk through the tunnels. You have to be ready to evacuate at a moment's notice. She can't wear heels.
2: No, I'm not asking her to wear heels. I'm just saying you should also not be wearing therapeutic <laughs> shoes. That's all I'm saying. She's young. She doesn't need bunion control.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd think a symbiote could heal bunions. Mm-hmm. All right, then. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Probing the Wormhole. We will be back next week with episode 13, Spirits. See you then. Bye. 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 Bye.
2: Like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you don't like us, still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole, Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also contact us on our website at probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.